0: And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from our pastor at Hatchbend Apostolic Church.
1: I'm the good shepherd. And so I want us to just tonight, let's just... I want this to be intimate. (laughs) Why don't we hold hands while we're... figuratively speaking, why don't we hold hands as we make a journey through the promises of God. Amen. This is something that we need to realize. The Word of God is speaking to me, to me, to me. The Bible says in John 6 and 35, Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. Amen. You may be seated and thank you for standing in honor of the word of the Lord. I so much enjoyed Brother Darrell Townsend's honesty a few Sundays ago as he talked about and presented our bread program for 2015 and our bread Bibles because I kind of found myself in his comments that I could say I'm not a big bread eater but uh, that may not altogether be true as he began to kind of take that layer by layer by layer. He may have a partner in crime, as he described it. In our Western culture, the meal primarily is built around meat, and uh, I'm certainly a a meat lover, and that's changing a a little bit, I suppose, with age, but um, all throughout my life up to now, I wanted a piece of meat with whatever. Just the meal just didn't seem complete, even if it was the bacon thin enough to read a magazine through. <laughs> I just had a slice of bacon that just seemed to complete it. And that is sort of our culture. But in the days that Jesus spoke of, and when he spoke, bread—if we can kind of get that association in our mind—bread was the major, was a major part of any meal. And so to offer, as a matter of fact, to offer any meal without bread would be to be uh, considered an insult. And so when Jesus makes this comment, I am the bread of life, to us in our culture, uh, we don't really feel the impact of that as certainly those that he was speaking to did. The backdrop of this declaration, I think, is uh, fitting that we insert this, that the backdrop of this declaration of the Lord was the miracle of the fishes and the loaves. And so Jesus had just fed 5,000 men plus women and children with uh, the fishes and the loaves. And so he sets this stage now for this unforgettable statement, this eternal declaration that says, I am the bread of life. And so what Jesus was actually saying was I am the most important part of your life. And I think if there is uh, any one thing, one mindset, it would be hard to boil it down to one, I'm sure. But one of the things, let me maybe it would be a better way to put that, uh, one of the things that we've struggled with today is that Jesus is not the main thing in many people's lives. And uh, he's not the main thing in a lot of church people's lives. Sadly, that's true. He's not the main thing. But Jesus was saying, everything needs to revolve around me, around the centerpiece of everything. So bread was, was so significant that it was placed even in the Holy of Holies as a symbol of God's provision. And it was there to remind them that I am, I am able to provide. Bread was also used at the Last Supper. It was used to teach about his sacrifice and his body that was broken for us. And by the cross... He brings to us eternal life. And see, Jesus spoke as the only source of salvation and the only source of life and the only source of joy and the only source of peace. He is the go-to. It's not just something we can add in at a convenience. Jesus had traveled to the other side of the lake, of course, after the feeding of the 5,000, but there were those that followed him. Some followed him because they just wanted an easier lifestyle. They just wanted God to be the clerk behind the counter to just ring the bell and answer all of their requests. Amen. They were very, very short-sighted in their mindset because they just wanted the Lord to take care of their physical needs, just meet my right now needs. But yet John 6 and 26 says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Ye seek me not because ye saw the miracles. Watch this but because you did eat of the loaves and were filled. It wasn't the miraculous that, sna- that snared you. It wasn't the miraculous that gained or garnered your attention, but because you got full, because there was some earthly satisfaction, that's what you're seeking. It was the opinion of, of the Jewish people that when the Messiah came, That he would reinstitute, so to speak, the manna from heaven, like he had done for Moses and Israel. They wanted their physical needs met. They just wanted to be able to kick open the flat door, uh, the flat door of their tent, so to speak, and find exactly what they needed for that particular day or moment. And they were incapable of seeing how really empty their souls were. They desired a Messiah to deliver them from the restraints of life and the oppression that sometimes is associated with such. But Jesus was desiring, just like he is today, to give so much more. That's why he said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. If you'll get this right, then I'll take care of all of this other stuff, all of these other things. I can add things to your life. I can take care of that. And so Jesus was desiring to give so much more to free a soul from sin, to free a life from guilt, and to write our names ultimately in the Lamb's book of life. It's very difficult for many people to embrace the truth that things in and of themselves can never satisfy, never satisfy. There is always something lacking. Things will always leave your life empty and, and uh, somewhat remaining pointless. Things can never truly leave us feeling fulfilled. Too often people feel like the Lord is just in our lives to solve our problems or to meet our needs or to somehow make us feel better about ourselves Looking for an easier way, Jesus decided that I'm going to just challenge your self-centered point of view. I'm going to challenge the status quo of your mind. And in doing so, he taught them a very, very important principle that I hope that you and I can embrace here this evening. And that principle is found in John 6 and 27. It's not on the screen, but I'll read, read it to you. The Bible says, labor not for the meat which perisheth but for the meat which endureth unto everlasting life. He said, don't keep reaching for something that's not gonna matter tomorrow, but reach for something that will have eternal consequences now. They asked, what is the work of God? And Jesus answered and said unto them that you believe on him whom he hath sent. Much of our faith in God is based on uh, physical and material blessings. Amen. But we need to ask ourselves how much? How much of our faith in God is just based upon what he can do for us? And the question that really bears an answer is how faithfully could we be to, how faithful could we be to God if somehow those blessings were lifted? If the Lord never answered another prayer, now I've heard this many times in my life and I've said this before, that if the Lord never answered another prayer, he's already done enough. Amen, Amen. I know I set that up to, to maybe uh, uh, maybe I deserve the silence that followed that. <laughs> I set that up, I set that up wrong. But we have, we have we have we have we have found ourselves sometimes saying that the Lord has done enough if He never does anything else. But could we really do more than just Amen that? I mean, Job lost it all and yet somehow was able to stay so grounded and said. The Lord gives and he takes away. Blessed is the name of the Lord. I'm just going to keep serving him. And, and the thing that I marvel most about the life of Job, and I know that's a broad statement, but when the scripture says that he never charged God foolishly. Wow. That he never sinned with his lips, that he never that he never uttered something that he would ever have to apologize for. That somehow he, he kept his spirit in tune with God, and so I think that we need to realize what are the most important things in my life. They wanted bread, that's what they wanted to be satisfied. He said it wasn't the miracle that really got you, it was the fact that you walked away with your stomach filled, amen. They wanted bread and Jesus was and he is the bread of life but what he was saying to them is really what you really need to understand that I wanna give you the most important thing and that's not what can fill your stomach now That thing will be growling again in just a few hours. That thing will be demanding some more attention in just a few mere moments from now. I wanna give you something that will satisfy. And so he says, I am the bread of life. And so he said, I want you to make your priorities eternal and not temporal. I want you to get your eyes off not just this world, but get your eyes on something that's far beyond, far above. I read many years ago a quote about uh, about us living today among the first generation of people that are actually looking for happiness on this earth. Because generations before us, whatever they, didn't, whatever they didn't have in this world, whatever they lacked in this world, they just they wrote songs like, This world is not my home. I'm just passing through. And that wasn't just a song to make them feel better, but it was a promise that they held on to. Jesus answered them and said unto them, uh, You've got to believe on him that has sent me. You've got to put your eyes on something that is beyond today. And I think the Lord... It's calling us to rearrange our priorities and our lives to include him as not some side dish, but the main dish. The church is supernatural and its life comes from Jesus Christ. And so the church is not just something that that is successful because it has clever programs or because it has this bit of organization or that bit of structure, but the church is supernatural, amen, because we have the anointing and the power of Jesus Christ. It is by the spirit of God alone that we stand. He said, I am the bread of life. I am your sustenance. And I want to just say it one more time. It is the anointing that destroys the yoke. It is not our savvy. It is not our class. It is not our flashy presentation. It is not our ability. It is not our strengths. But it is the anointing that breaks the yoke. And so I say, Lord, help us today. In the power, Lord, of this hour, help us to stand. Help us to stand help us to stand. I was reading over several illustrations and one of those today I I read an illustration about an actor that was hired uh, to quote the 23rd psalm for some special uh, drama or presentation and and uh, so this man who is well skilled and versed in his uh, in his field of expertise got up and quoted the 23rd psalm. And there happened to be an old elderly preacher in the crowd and And uh, for whatever reason, uh, they asked him to come and quote the 23rd Psalm. And his old raspy voice that had been worn with many, many years of preaching and speaking publicly, he began in his old raspy way to quote uh, from the 23rd Psalm. And as he began to quote from the 23rd Psalm, people began to feel the presence of the Lord. And some began to feel the power of God and tears welled up in their eyes. And someone in the crowd questioned the actor about the the difference in the end result and the actor said the end result is this, he said I just know, <clears throat> I just know the words but he knows the man he meant, I just know what's on the page but he is in relationship with the bread of life and so tonight I don't want to just rehearse a service and come through and sing a few songs and make every key just right and every beat just right I don't want to get up before you tonight and just rehearse a few words that I have gone over and over and over in my heart to But what I want to do is say, Lord, before I step to this desk, let the anointing and the power of God, let that I am stand in the pulpit with me tonight. Let the I am that satisfies the soul of man and not just the physical body of man stand with me. In John 10 and 7, the Bible says, Jesus answered and said unto them again, Verily, verily, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. All that ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep do not hear them. I am the door by me. If any man enter in, he shall be saved, and shall not go in and out and find and shall go in and out and find pasture. The thief cometh not but for to steal, to kill and destroy. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. You see, the Lord experienced humanity by becoming flesh. Amen. He is the creator, now the redeemer. And so when all points tempted, tested, he became one of us. Amen. Joseph uh, Damien was a 19th century missionary who ministered to people with leprosy on a small island in Hawaii. Those suffering grew to love him and revered him for many things but not the least of which was the sacrificial life that he lived before them one morning as Damien was to lead daily worship he was pouring some hot water into a cup when all of a sudden a little bit of that water splashed out and fell on his bare foot it took him just a moment to realize it but he soon realized that he did not feel the sensation of heat from that water Gripped by the sudden fear of what this could mean, he poured just a little bit more hot water on the same spot, but there was no feeling whatsoever. Damien immediately knew what had happened. As he walked tearfully to the pulpit to preach a sermon, no one at first noticed the difference in his opening line. He normally began every message by saying, My fellow believers. But this morning he began by saying, My fellow lepers. He became one. He understood in an instant what those people he had been ministering to were experiencing. And so when Jesus Christ robed himself in flesh and came to walk among men, he understood exactly in all points tempted like as we. Amen. In in the greater measure, Jesus came into this world knowing what it would cost him. He came on a mission firmly fixed, firmly focused. He bore the marks of evil so that we might be made pure. The 18th chapter of John in verse 37, Jesus says, For this came I into the world. For this. And so the cross was no surprise Amen, I'm not trying to sound cavalier, but Calvary was no surprise. That that wasn't something that was kind of slipped in on him at the last minute, no, no. He said, for this came I into the world. No one else had been able to do what Jesus Christ had done. It was for this reason that Jesus declared himself the only doorway to God. Often shepherds built stone sheep pens when when it was possible for them to do so. If stones weren't available or or one needed to be built in a hurry, they would build them out of maybe thorns and thistles. And and even sometimes when stones were used, thorns were put on top as a way to keep predators and thieves and things of that nature from climbing over the wall. Some record that these walls were many times built as high as 10 foot. However, they contained, no matter what they were built out of, if it was stone or if it was thorns and thistles, or if it was a combination of both. No matter what they were built out of, no matter what the walls were built out of, amen, every pen only contained one single entrance or one single door. This exclusive entrance meant that nothing could go in or go out without going through the door. It takes a great significance then, again, when we put our minds into the day, into the hour, when Jesus said, I and the door to the sheepfold. Amen. We have to kind of have that explained to us, these agricultural terms. But he said, I am the gate. Amen. That may be a more applicable statement for us today. I am the gate, and nothing is going to come in or nothing is going to go out but by me. I am the door. He was identifying himself as the only hope to the entrance of the sheep. It was only Jesus Christ that could do anything about that. And hear me today. It is only Jesus that can satisfy our soul it is only the lord there is only one way amen it's it's not all roads lead to heaven as we often hear and and uh, hear declared today many would allude to that idea or the idea that that just because someone is sincere that everything should be all right but i'm going to tell you today that we should never lose sight of the fact that people can be sincerely wrong I have sincerely been headed in the wrong direction on the interstate. No matter how sincere I was about it, it didn't correct the fact that I was not ever going to get to my final destination without radically changing my course. So Jesus strikes down any thought Any idea with this proclamation, there is only one gate to the sheepfold. There is only one way in, and I am that way. Sheep pens did not have wooden doors. Instead, the shepherd himself, I never will forget many years ago, elder brother J.D. Sizemore, Joe David Sizemore, preaching a message about this. And as he began in his own unique way, to describe the doorway to the sheepfold. He meant the shepherd would he himself sleep in that gate. He was the gate. He didn't just stand by a gate. He didn't just guard the gate. But the shepherd became the gate. I mean, he lay down in the night and so if anything got out it had to go by the shepherd if anything come in it had to go by the shepherd he used his own body as the door oh how we see that today in parallel to the scripture that's exactly what Jesus Christ did he used his own body to become the doorway to the way in his message was not arbitrary this was not some random off the wall or off the cuff statement he is body would be the entrance to eternal life and that was accomplished my friend on Calvary's cross that's why I don't ever want to get tired of singing about it I don't ever want to get weary with preaching about it let me take that one step further I don't ever want to get tired of hearing it Hearing a song about it or hearing a message about it. Because when I think of Calvary, I realize that it was the door and the sheepfold. It was He that laid down His life so that I might have eternal life. Hallelujah. The sheep got their only sense of protection from the shepherd when at night He became the door. This was the only way in, the only way out. So any attempt to get inside the sheepfold or any attempt any other way meant somebody is up to no good. I want to tell you, if somebody's trying to climb in your window at night, they're not coming for a visit. They're not checking on you. And so he said anybody that comes in any other way is the same as a thief and a robber. And so there is both security and provision available for the sheep that use the gate. Any other attempt to find some greener pastures while just wandering around will fail to bring the proper amount of nourishment. Amen. So many have tried through so many other means. But again, I'm going to say only Jesus can really satisfy the soul. Finally, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. John 10, through 17 probably is one of the most telling passages of Scripture about the real mission, the revealing of the real mission of Jesus Christ. This is where Jesus states he is the good shepherd. This is where we get the picture of Jesus Christ as the good shepherd. The life of a good shepherd, you see, is not an easy one because it's a difficult task to keep watch over sheep. The shepherd was also responsible for finding adequate food, adequate water. And sheep, by their very nature, are just somewhat easily frightened. And so, uh, a shepherd had to be very mindful, even if he found water, where the water was. What's the nature of the water? Because many times, sheep will not, even if they're thirsty, would not drink from rapidly moving water because... That kind of goes against their nature. I think that's why David was so careful to say the Lord is my shepherd. And then he lists that he leadeth me beside still waters. Still waters. Then there were the issues that the shepherd had to deal with. You see, it wasn't just food and it wasn't just water. It wasn't just protection from things at night like predators, but it was things like, disease and exposure to the elements and other wild animals that were there to devour there's always something trying to take the life of a sheep even issues and the scripture talks about dealing with hirelings because there were shepherds who were when danger presented itself they just ran away to preserve their own life instead of the life of the sheep because you see for them it was just a job It was just a nine to five. I I didn't know I was going to have to shed some blood. I didn't know I would have to put myself in the face of danger. But the Bible teaches us that Jesus was the ultimate good shepherd who so loved his sheep that he would give his life as a sacrifice. That was real commitment. So listen to the good shepherd's commitment in verse number 11 of John 10. He said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for." the sheep the first statement of the Lord I think is an interesting one because he not only states that he's the good shepherd but he also said I'll lay down my life for the sheep that's a strange thing to say because the sheep were raised really for sacrifice themselves in the temple and so when you think about how contradicting this sounds to again to the audience he said I will lay down my life for the sheep and there were people that realized these sheep are being raised to lay down their life as a sacrifice. <laughs> the area between Jerusalem and Bethlehem was where the shepherds herded all the sacrificial lambs and the sheep that were used for worship. And now, instead of the sheep being sacrificed in worship, it's Jesus that's saying, I'm going to lay down my life in sacrifice for them. Amen. I, I know that many shepherds truly love their flocks. But only the good shepherd would go to the extreme to say, I will make myself a sacrifice if necessary. The verses that follow this, verse 12 and 13, the Bible says, But he that is in hireling and not the shepherd, whose own the sheep are not, seeth the wolf coming and leaveth the sheep and fleeth, and the wolf catcheth them and scattereth the sheep. The hireling fleeth because he is a hireling and careth not for the sheep. And so what a contrast Jesus portrays here and he gives. He said, I will give my life, but the hireling will just run and hide. The religious leaders of the day were more like hired hands. And so Jesus was on a mission. He wasn't just talking to be talking. He wasn't trying to fill up space. He was on a mission. He was hitting the hearts right where they lived. The hired hand only saw the carrying of the sheep as his job. That's just what I do. It's not my life. If there were too much danger, then he would just leave the sheep. and Whatever fate would take place would just take place. And, but that was not the mindset or the heartbeat of the shepherd. That's a very different spirit portrayed really by the Lord. His attitude was to do whatever needs to be done to protect the sheep. The word shepherd in verse 11 also can be translated into the word, our word, pastor. In a biblical sense, a pastor is just that. He is a shepherd. Amen. That's there, there, a biblical sense. There are too many hirelings, in my opinion, serving in this capacity today. Amen. I want somebody that will pray for me. Amen, when they feel that nudge in the 2 a.m. morning or that, that, that early morning hour, when they feel that nudge in the middle of the day, I want somebody that has my best interest at heart. Amen, I'm not feathering my own nest here. I'm preaching to you the truth today. Amen, that we, we don't need a hireling. We need a true shepherd. You need somebody that will, you, you know, you, you want somebody that, that, that's, not, that's not being bought to represent you. If you're in the court of law, you, you want to hope on the other side of that bench is somebody that has the best interest of the law and not whoever has the most pull or the most this or the most that. Amen. I, I want somebody that has my best interest in mind. And so the church needs a true shepherd, somebody that is committed to the congregation, committed to preaching, committed to teaching the truth without fear, without favor. Amen, I, I say Lord just preach to me Speak the word let it, let it come as close, crop as close as it need to be Amen, let it, let it be done I'm going to ask our musicians to come if they will The Bible says in verse 14 I am the good shepherd And know my sheep And listen to this And am known of mine <laughs> As the Father knoweth me Even so I know the Father And I lay down my life for the sheep. And other sheep I have. I'll come back to this in just a moment. But other sheep I have which are not of this fold. Them also I must bring. And they shall hear my voice. And there shall be one fold and one shepherd. Now again, verse number 16. All of this really. But verse number 16. Jesus is really on a mission. Really on a mission. The fruit of such commitment and love by the shepherd creates this dynamic we find in verse number 14. He said, I know my sheep and my sheep know me. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. And I think there is, there is a tremendous dynamic here that when we have this relationship that I know the Lord and the Lord knows me. Amen, I'm thankful that, that I'm in relationship with him, that he is, you know, I, I've said many times that about the Lord's prayer is not something to recite, there's a, there's, there's, it's a prayer of principles. That, and so when we begin by saying our Father, I'm always encouraged by that because I know that I'm not alone. Amen. It's an inclusive statement. Our Father, and I'm in a relationship with Him, and I'm thankful that I know Him. I'm thankful that I know Him. And so the bond of love between a good shepherd and his flock provides, I think, a much-needed sense of security because sheep are not foolish. They can tell the difference between somebody that's a hireling and somebody that's a shepherd. Amen. 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 You can tell the difference between somebody that's ju- just doing it to get by or somebody that really has their heart in what they're doing. Amen. So we sheep, are not they're not foolish. Additionally, Jesus makes it clear that it is his plan to add to the flock. And this is what I was referring to a moment ago in verse 16. He says, it's my plan to add into the flock. I'm going to be bringing in other sheep. And so what Jesus was really doing was firing a warning shot over their head. It's not just going to be you, us four, and no more. There's others that are going to come. They're going to be coming into the fold. And I think this is a clear reference to the Gentiles, the Gentile inclusion that was about to take place in the New Testament church. Amen. Now, I'm preaching to you, and I'm, I'm speaking to you right now, but I just want you to know there's more sheep that are coming. Amen, and we're going to tear down the walls of tradition and, and believe it or not, some uncircumcised Gentiles are going to receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. They're going to be filled with my spirit and the church is going to grow. And if I could stand from this pulpit tonight and declare anything to us, I would say this, and I mean this in this, all the spirit of love I can muster up at this very point, but don't get too comfortable in the seat you're sitting in. You may have to give it up one day. Don't 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 just nestle out your little favorite parking place because you may come sliding in here one day and somebody else's car is parked there. Amen. Amen. That's my prayer. <laughs> That's my prayer. Why? Why? Because God has another nation of people that we can't even imagine. We can't even wrap our minds around it. And I just feel, I just feel a prophetic utterance in my heart and in my spirit tonight to tell us that there are those coming, Brother Rayleigh talked about many years ago, and to those that are afar off, and to those that are already. God is turning and positioning them. I'm not just talking about to the kingdom. Certainly, we understand that God is turning those of the kingdom. But I'm going to speak what I feel in my heart tonight and tell you that even right now, God is positioning and pointing families and lives to this very local assembly. And so I say, Lord, help us to be ready for that. Help us to be prepared for that. The I am, the I am that said, I am the good shepherd. Amen, let's stand together, can we do that? Amen, now this clear reference I believe to the Gentile inclusion Amen, this was so different So different from the hired hands of Jesus' day You see all they were concerned about was their own little select group of sheep They cared nothing about the Gentiles As a matter of fact they were rather incensed that they were even there later but the power of the good shepherd comes from his willingness to just say, Look, we've got to position ourselves in such a way. We've got to change the prism through which we've always looked through. Amen. That's still the kind of leadership that God, I believe, wants for his flock today. Now, let me say this and I'm closing. I believe that that's what God is demanding of pastors and shepherds today. I feel that mandate upon my own life. But let me just broaden this just a touch. I don't think this is just true for pastors. But I think it's true for every leadership position in a church. Amen. 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 We need to have a passion for the people that we are influencing. If you hate children, resign your Sunday school class. Don't get so caught up in a title that you need that for your identity. Amen. If you don't like young people, get out of the youth department. Why? Because you can't leave people you don't have a passion for. Amen. If you're not interested in the loss, resign from the outreach department. Why? Because you're going to be an ineffective worker in the field if you don't love those that need you. You've got to love them. You've got to love them. Amen. The authority needed for ministry is gained through passion and not position. It comes from passion, not position. Anybody can get a title. We can have a name badge made up and slap it on your lapel. That doesn't make you that. We've got to have a passion. You know, I just think about people that work in the medical field and You know, they just kind of get exposed to it all and they have such a passion. And I'm not excluding any other field, but they have a passion for what they're doing. And they they view humanity through a different lens than most, maybe. And uh, when people have such a passion or compassion, maybe I should say, about such things, all these peripheral little burrs and hangups, they just kind of fall by the wayside several years ago, I was in the hospital with a kidney stone and had not been able to uh, brush my teeth as like I wanted to. I remember one morning the nurse came to the bed and she was trying to talk to me, and I had my hand up over my mouth and Finally she said, "How come you got your hand over your mouth?" I said, "Because I'm worried about I had not had a chance to brush my teeth. She said, honey, that's the least of your problems. Don't you worry about that. I'm not worried. I'm not here. I didn't come here to check your breath. <laughs> I didn't come here to see about that. we got larger issues on the table. And I thought, is that all right? <laughs> it's out there now, I guess. All right. When you love what you're doing, when you love who you're serving, it's not a job. call calling. Amen. I'm thankful for the I am. Amen. Let's gather for family prayer as we close here tonight. Can we do that? Jesus thank you today for that calm assurance. I am the light. I am the bread. I am the door. I am the shepherd. What great, great confidence we take away from that. In Jesus name. Thank you Lord.